I don't know if I would have made it through high school and through middle school without Ritalin. And I also have to say that when I went to acting school after high school, uh, Ritalin kept me in. Now, I also experienced the other side of, of Ritalin and the, and the effects of being on an ADHD drug um, that sped up my body, that connected those neuro pathways so that I could connect the attention to the detail. Um, by the time I stopped taking Ritalin, I was full in in my own drug abuse. Uh, I hadn't been able to gain weight since I was a kid. I still weighed a buck 30 at best. I, I have a lot of animosity towards being medicated. And I was one of the early medicated kids back in the 70s. So I the, the concept of feeling like you had to be medicated to be normal still weighs heavily on me, even after 22 years of, of abstinence. My guests, Lynn and Angela, have put together a film called Medicating Normal. We're gonna talk to them about this pharmaceutical mental health connection and overconnection. All right, I there's there's enough, there's too much, sometimes there's not enough. How as 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 family members, do we find the balance for our family members who are taking medication and the side effects and the help it might offer and on and on. Let's let two experts talk about this. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back, the WCSAD virtual 2020 version. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. This is my show. Welcome so much. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And my guests, Angela and Lynn, let's get started. Uh, Angela, Lynn, thank you guys so much for being on this episode. This is something I've already said out of the gate. We're going to do a longer show because uh, this is just going to be a short tempt in the, the minds of the families who listen to my program. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really intrigued of what you got going on here. Thank you so much, Aaron. We're excited. Well, let's let's jump right into it. And I want to jump right into it. Um, just kind of prefacing my experience as running an adolescent treatment care facility for the last 20 years. I want to talk about uh, this girl I have and I'm very I'm very good friends with this girl. She's now an employee. Her life has changed, but it changed the day she stopped taking her medication when we got her. We were her 16th treatment facility. She was on an utter cocktail of some of the craziest concoctions and mixtures that we, our doctors, our psychiatric nurses, we looked at what this girl was on and we were like, what, who did this to you? And she would sleep half the day and mumble through sentences. And she's so bright and brilliant um, and I'm so proud of Grace and that's her name. And, and she knows I talk about her on the show. Uh, she's writing the forward to my book. But when I talked to her a year later, after she had graduated successfully for a program and she's like, Hey, Aaron, I was like, hello. Like <laughs> she had the energy and the attention and the brightness in the eyes, Angela, how did you, how did you end up from, from serving in the military? And thank you very much for your service. How did you end up from serving in the military to, to championing this concept of, of medicating normal? Well, uh, your story about grace, I was grace. I was on uh, a mixture of 17 medications at the same time oh, in 2006. God. And that was upon coming back from Iraq, uh, being medically evacuated out. And then my convoy got hit the very next day. So I had all these traumatic experiences back to back to back 
which gave me a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And then the medication came like, I don't know, like a, like a tsunami. So uh, about, about 13 years in the mental health care system, taking my meds exactly as prescribed, um, listening to the doctors. I tried over 40 different psychiatric drugs. I felt worse. I was just like Grace. I didn't leave the house for two, for four years. I had dreadlocks in my hair because I didn't bathe. I was considered severely and chronically mentally ill. And now I am, a, I graduated with a 4.0 from Washington University in St. Louis with a master's in social work because I decided to harm reduction, a harm reduction approach to coming off meds. Took me 10 years, but I got off of everything. And um, the withdrawal was horrific. The withdrawal from psychiatric drugs was horrific. And that's kind of what the film is about. I mean, talk about the best revenge being success. Congratulations, Angela. I, you, you certainly are like a root and a, and a cheerleader, like a heavy metal cheerleader of this cause. Uh, Lynn, you've been a filmmaker for a while. Uh, it is starting in the late eighties. Um, and, and you've done a lot of different, a uh, lot of different films and edited a lot of films. Why this, why are you now traveling all over the place, talking with this, getting this film on international release? Uh, what is it about this topic that's got you on a rampage? Well, uh, I would say this topic began really as a personal quest to help one human being that I loved. And it became, as I learned more and more about it, it became mission to tell what my filmmaking partner, Wendy, and I realized very quickly was an untold story. And when I say untold story, well, let me just go back into my, my family member was struggling after being a stellar athlete and um, scholar in uh, college. And she had a bad patch and was diagnosed with a mental illness that all the best doctors said would be a lifetime um, affliction, disease, and uh, that she did indeed have a chemical imbalance. And our family who loves her very, very much just, just went along with this. And it wasn't until 10 years later that she, that, and, and she was on 10 meds daily. Uh, she was on disability. This is someone who had a great writing career in front of her. Um, she could not hold down a job. She watched as her friends from Harvard all um, escalated to the very tops of their fields. And she was you know, in distress and called me every day, Lenny, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? And I at first thought, you know, is she talking about her material needs? Very right. soon, I realized it wasn't her material needs. She had a very loving, supportive family. It was her agency, her ability to function as a human being and to realize her potential. And um, she was groggy. She was out of it. Yes, she'd remained out of the hospital and, and some good things that occurred, but she was not herself. She was not the person that she set out to become. And that made me realize I was being disingenuous um, in telling her that it was going to be okay. And I thought, I've got to look into what she's putting into her body. So I started to research. And one of the very first books I read was Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Epidemic which is a must read for anybody in our society and um, joined forces with my filmmaking partner, Wendy, which then set us off on a research journey that, that really became the basis of the film. The more and more we learned, we met hundreds of people across the country who had, who had, been, had started out mildly 
in, in a, what we now feel is a very Norman, normal situation of stress or depression and became a mental patient. And, you know, maybe there are some legitimate mental patients in this world. That's not the purpose of our film to argue that. Our purpose is to say, what are we doing? Look at how many people are medicated, one in five. Um, look how, many, how much talent, Angie, right before you, look how much talent is being lost as a result of this method. And um, there's no informed consent about what these drugs do. They keep piling on. The pattern is you get one after another. So we just, we knew we had to make the film. So that's, that was the beginning. There was a, there was an experience we had, there was a, a certain um, acute center, an adolescent acute center here in Colorado that is uh, uh, now no longer in existence. And they had a particular doctor there. And when our kids would go into acute, you know, being a facility, we don't, we don't have locked doors. We're not an acute unit. We're a four to six month treatment unit. So when the kids would go into an acute space, we would send them to this unit for three to six days, uh, you know, depending on what the doctors and nurses and insurance companies would say. Um, and there was a particular psychiatrist there who was putting every kid on Seroquel, every single kid. Now, at our facility, we do neurotransmitters tests. And so we're actually looking to see which part of the brain is actually working and what's not functioning. And we knew this kid already had high levels of serotonin. And we contacted the facility and say, I mean, please don't do Seroquel. The guy ignored it, put her, put her on Seroquel and... Uh, this, I mean, the kid had a complete psychiatric break and everything. And so, of course, he pulled it off. She stabilized. We were able to get her back. She graduated successfully. But the point is, throughout the making of this film, both you, Angie and Lynn, is this because there's laziness? Is this because this is easy? Is this a financial thing? Or is there a communication breakdown between doctors and facilities and record keeping? And we don't know what others, the left and the right hand is, are doing. What have you guys found? Well, I will start and then I know Angie can add to it even more. Um, it, no, it, it is not laziness. We have no, there's no, we're not trying to villainize or, or criticize anybody. It's a systemic issue. And there's only one, psychiatry has one route and that, that's the predominant mainstream view. And mm. it's that a mental illness requires medication. And we are finding we, we are, the film questions the whole notion of mental illness, you know, and puts it more in, yes, there's great suffering and that needs to be cared for and looked at. But uh, the, the chemical imbalance theory that my family bought into so long ago um, is not legitimate. And most doctors have um, questioned it. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a theory anymore. It was more of a marketing technique that um, pharmaceuticals put out there to uh, rationalize the, the giving of these drugs. Um, Angie, do you want to? Yeah, just that, you know, the narrative right now is if you have anything that's not comfortable, any feelings that you can't handle or any behaviors that are out of the norm. So, you know, people that are around children that act out, we don't really question why could they possibly be acting out? Is there trauma in the home? Are they um, being bullied at school? Is, you know, there's so many reasons why people show distress, right? But the narrative right now is if you show any kind of these behaviors or feelings that are not normal, then you need to go to the doctor and you need to get prescribed a drug. And usually there's a diagnosis that comes with that, but there's no testing to see if 
is the diagnosis diagnosis legitimate? The DSM-5 has been shown to not be valid or reliable between clinicians. So what, what happens is like people like me, we get five diagnoses and then a handful of medications and you're spinning your wheels. And unfortunately, mental health doesn't really follow patients over the long term. We might see them in an acute setting and we never see them again. We might see them in the outpatient program. We don't know what happens five years down the road. So nobody's really seeing these problems where people are following their doctor's instructions. You're going to your appointments, you're on these meds, but what happens in the long term? And that's kind of what the book Anatomy and Epidemic explores is that long-term outcomes from psychiatric drugs are not good. They're not good. You 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 said a, a relatively provocative statement. I want you to I want you to address a minute ago. First of all, some of my listeners may not know what the DSM is. It's a, a, a diagnostic uh, statistical manual. We're up to five, I think, or are we at six yet? Yes, five. Five. Okay. Five. And this is the manual that therapists, counselors, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists reference, like a dictionary of uh, criteria. If a person is suffering these behaviors, if they're dealing with struggling oh trying to overcome these certain criteria it means it looks like they're they've got this borderline bipolar you said that between and i want to make sure we clarify you said that between professionals it's not proving effective what do you mean by that it means that if if you come to me aaron and i was trained as a social worker so if you come to me yeah. and you tell me your symptoms and i'm listening to your narrative i could say mm, this person sounds like they have borderline personality disorder if you go to another therapist or another psychiatrist and they listen to your to your symptoms they could say hmm it sounds to me that this person has post-traumatic stress disorder right so, and those two in the dsm i mean you they're a lot alike they're and there very a, similar in, there's so much in, overlap. In the early yeah, in two early 2000s, we were getting tons of kids that are BPD. I'm like, they're not BPD. This is trauma. But yeah. then you read the criteria and you're like, oh, well, this is just misdiagnosis. And it happens a lot. And, but, and what has happened is the DSM-5, you know, it should be looked at, you know, where its place is. That for, okay, for a person to get treatment, you need to have a diagnosis. It's like a billing code so that the, the professional right. yeah. will tell the insurance company, okay, this person has bipolar, so I need eight treatments, you know, and I need, I need uh, reimbursement for 16 therapy sessions or whatever. That's what it should be. But it's become this thing where we, we attach ourselves to the label. We, you know, it's almost like it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy for me. Like, see, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm one of those crazy vets, you know, like it's, right. I don't know, it becomes something that it shouldn't be. And, and, and then you just go through the system. Like for me, I have like six diagnoses and I probably meet criteria for five more, who knows? So it's just become <laughs> this thing that it's like, what is, what is that doing for us? Right now, this is what I know. We have the highest suicide rate ever. We have the highest disability rate ever. So our current systems of care are not working for a lot of people. All right. I want to, I want you guys to hang on for a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break for a shout out to our bronze sponsors today. And then I'm going to be right back as we you know uh, wrap around with a few more questions and then make sure people can get their hands on your stuff. And as I said at the beginning, I'm already married to the fact that we have to have a longer conversation about this important film in your guys' perspective of things. So hang on just a quick second. I'll be right back. So 
if you've listened to any of the shows that I've done around the WCSAD virtual 2020 conference, uh, you know the spiel I'm about to go into. And it's an important spiel because we have those of us in the mental health care and recovery industry are able to get together every single year, multiple times a year in these huge conference rooms. We have a great time, tons of 12 step meetings. We all learn the latest information from the most brilliant people all over the world. We see films like like medicating normal that my guests are talking about and are able to uh, then do Q and A's and ask these types of questions. My whole purpose behind Beyond Risk and Back was to go to these events and make sure that I interviewed these experts so that the listeners could get the same information that we were getting in the industry. The moment COVID hit, the conferences went bye-bye. And it was a bummer. And we were, Angie and Lynn and I were talking off, off stage of how much we missed this. Uh, so thanks to companies like C4 Events, they're still putting on these conferences. They were just doing it virtually. Welcome to the virtual world. And what I want to do is I want to name the bronze sponsors, the people who put up the time, the energy, and the money to make sure that we can keep doing this so that we all keep learning and keep growing as practitioners of mental wellness and recovery support. Ideal practice, claim path solutions, promises behavioral health, Hogue Addiction Treatment Centers and Solmar Recovery, 12 South Recovery, Trauma and Beyond Psychological Center, Oric Consulting, Muirwood, J Flowers Health Institute, Cirque Lodge, and Benchmark Transitions. These are our bronze sponsors. Thank you. Thank you to the bronze sponsors. Thank you for C4 to C4 events who continually put on these. Uh, incredible programs. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. And thank you all for listening to the WCSAD Virtual 2020 Conference. This is the West Coast Symposium on Addiction Disorders. And uh, by God, I want to get back to my guests, Angie and Lynn. So let's do that. Let's get right back to the guests. Thank you to the bronze sponsors and C4 events. Okay, you guys, how is the film being received so far? How are we doing? Uh, film is being received incredibly. Um, we've had 115, Angie? Something like that, yeah. Something like 115 community screenings um, in front of a huge variety of audiences. Uh, some more medically uh, oriented, some more holistically oriented. And uh, what we love most about these screenings, and this has all been, uh, most of them have been during COVID as well. And right. well, so we miss the in-person, we miss the be able to connect in person so much and can't wait to get back to that. But, but for these uh, people write in questions and we have invited very a wide range of panelists who all have different perspectives. And the dialogue that, that ensues, the questions that are asked in the dialogue is, is just electrifying. And um, Angie likes to say something that I'll just say crudely. And that is, you know, often in these big uh, screenings, some of which have, yeah. are 500 people, some are 20 people, um, you, you have people who are from different perspectives of this, this whole systemic issue. You have a prescribing doctor with a patient who's had lived experience like Angie, who's gone through this. And the two, the two can um, speak in a way that you can't really speak in, an, in a doctor's office. 
so that it's not like a, it's not, I wouldn't say level playing field. I would just say a dialogue in which people can comfortably and safely raise questions. They can say things like you said at the beginning, like, well, what about me? I, my Adderall, my Ritalin worked for me. And then right. someone can say yes, but so there's a great dialogue that we, we find is not happening in the mainstream media and it, yet, and it's not happening um, in medical schools for sure. Uh, so we're excited. We're very excited about the reception. Angie, I'm I'm curious, being someone who is a, you know, has a has a, a degree in social work, a master's degree in social work, I'm curious if you feel like uh you're you're an outlier, a whistleblower, whether you're kind of rending the veil on an industry that is supposed to be helping us, or are you still in practice looking at people like me going, hey, ADHD is your superpower, dude. Let's find another way to get through it, which I truly believe it is now. I mean, I'm, I'm like four businesses deep and film projects of this and this, and it's so great. And I got to listen to heavy metal music while I'm doing a podcast, but, um, it took me a while to get this way. What is it for you? What is, what is your role in this? Well, I mean, I just, I'm still healing from the trauma that I coped with in the mental health care system, being told for like almost 15 years that you're broken, you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to get back to school, you're going to be on medications for life. I internalized all these messages. And then I was harmed by the psychiatric drugs that I took that were supposed to make me feel better. Right. So I, I, I'm five years off of all meds right now, but I suffer from like neurological consequences from taking the drugs long term. And I know I look well and I sound well, but I don't feel good ever. It's just, it's completely throwing my body systems off. So I, I decided for health reasons and disability reasons, like I can't, I'm, I'm not able to hold a job right now, unfortunately, but um, this is also my social work is having these conversations and questioning, like, what is our model of care doing to people long-term? I mean, I'm starting to get myself back, but I talk to people, you know, and it could be biased, which is fine, but I talk to people that are harmed every day that we, you know, that, that wanted to get better. And we just, I mean, you genuinely want to feel better and you'll try anything to feel better, but then you're right. left kind of like, why don't I feel better? I'm doing everything they say. And then you start questioning things. So anyway, I, this is my social work is just having these dialogue, having this dialogue, having these questions, letting everyone have their experience, different perspectives and just questioning what, what is our mental health care system doing? Is it helping people? Is it helping some and not others? And how do we know if we're going to be helped or not? And shouldn't we be taking through an informed consent process before we take that first medication? I was going to, Aaron, I wanted Angie to mention a little bit about what it was like to be in, in a very, very well-respected, reputable program like yeah. one of the top social work programs in the country and oh, what it was like with her experience. It was so hard because, um, I mean, often I was sitting in a classroom and I took the, I took the class on DSM-5. I took psychopharmacology for social workers. I've studied these things and got credit for them like the hard way, even though I had, I learned through lived experience that, you know, it's not for everyone, but anyway, uh, no, it was very often like, I felt like I was like they were talking about these other people with these mental disorders. And like, you, it's almost like you're hearing your parents talk about you from another room and you're like, wait, right. they're talking about me. Like I'm that person with these symptoms. So there's almost like a dehumanization process that you know, these mental health professionals learn that, you know, no, like I'm a human being with feelings and suffering and emotions. And I'm not just somebody to be slapped a label on and here's your meds and go away. I don't know. It was, it was traumatic. I can't, right. and I'm sure there's more stories I could tell you, but 
Um, no, I just learned the inside and what, I don't know, what, what social workers, mental health professionals learn, but how it, it's, it's very like, almost like not human. You know, you give someone a label and it, you're not like really feeling with them and learning empathy. You're learning these labels and like treatments to do, but somehow, sometimes I feel the treatments actually get in the way between you being with another human being who's suffering. Because if I can think of, oh, you have that borderline and, and okay, for borderline, I need to do this and I need to talk to you like this. And these are the skills you need. I'm not really listening and being there with you. All right, let's, let's, let's get this film into people's hands. How, how do they find you guys? How do they follow up with you? Well, our, our website is medicatingnormal.com. And on it, we uh, have a list of upcoming community screenings that people can sign on for. Not always in everyone, but they are pretty regular. Um, Angie, what, once every? Well, we have like once a week right now yep. going. Yeah. And um, eventually what we are, we're hoping for Netflix or HBO or something like that. But me and until we're doing our educational distribution, which will be um, so that the film can be um, uh, available in catalogs for universities and colleges and high schools. And then we have an international distributor who will be um, making deals and has already found great interest from the Netherlands, uh, Portugal, and Belgium. So more, hopefully more interest. So it may be that the inter international groups may have a broadcast and probably will before we, we do here in the US, but we're doing our best to have these community screenings and we would love for people to write us if they, if they have ideas or groups that they feel would benefit from a, the film and a discussion about the film to please contact us at medicatingnormal at gmail.com. All right, so we got contacting you at medicatingnormal at gmail.com and medicatingnormal.com is the website. Yeah, and we're also okay. on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. YouTube has over 100 clips from the film and also about 30 discussions, like kind of like we're having now, of, of panel discussions from different points of view. All right, so you guys are on the the big five. I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn as well. Uh, that's no, the Okay, well, then you got the four or five on the social medias. Uh, you guys, thank you very much. I I'm I hate calling this show short, but I'm looking forward to getting my hands on you ASAP. I will send you a link so we can do a full show. I'm really excited about this process and this product you have, and I want to help you. And I've I've like I told you at the beginning, I got some names for you, and we're gonna get you in. So thank you for being on Beyond Risk and Back, and I hope your your talk on the education channel uh, of the WCSAD is just hammers a home run because my god there's so many people who are going to be listening who have resources for you so hang tight for a second i'm going to jump on back on with you after i sign everybody out but angie lynn thank you so much for being on the show this was great thank you aaron, thank you, aaron. so here we are um this 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 is the type of thing i want parents to hear you're you're going to listen to this show. You're going to listen to their longer episode and you're going to make up your own minds about this. I can tell you, uh, this, this Ritalin, I truly believe as a 50 year old man. And I look back to the way my life was, I believe it helped get me through. Do I think I needed it? Do I think I had to take it? No, 
I don't. And I, and we have founded a program based on trying to reach kids where they are and reach families where they are. And I have seen medication save lives, but I'm gonna agree with Lynn and Angie when they say how much of mental health diagnosis is actually legitimate. How much is just normal that we are medicating? So let's explore the concept deeper. Follow up with them at medicatingnormal.com and medicatingnormal at gmail.com. Send them your stories. I, I know they're going to be able to benefit from it. And if you know a way to get them into your community, help them out. This is this is a good convert. This is an important conversation to have. My thanks to Deepin Productions for producing this show and to Your Cause Consulting, who gets this show in front of the people all around the world who need to see the show. Huge thanks. Thanks to C4 Events for continuing the uh, WCSAD virtually here in 2020. Everybody, wash your hands, love each other, hang on, let's get this right so that we can get together again in 2021 and make this happen. Parents, remember, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because that's how we're going to do our best work with our children. Listen, like, subscribe, and share Beyond Risk and Back with everybody who needs help, and please leave a review on iTunes. Helps parents who need help find the help they need. Thanks so much, folks, and we will talk again next week.